0: stand still and see the salvation of the Lord Exodus chapter 14 verse 13 reads this way fear not stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today you'll never see again the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent such are the words of Exodus 14 and yet that instruction stand still do nothing watch God do it all is a rarity in Scripture the vast majority of the time God told his people God told his prophet God told those he was talking to to do things but in this particular case, Sextus 14, God is saying, Stop the activity. If you even thought of doing any, don't do anything. I'll take it from here. Just watch, stand still, see what I do all by myself. Now, God achieves salvation all by himself, his own arm has brought salvation. And from first to last we are saved by the grace of God plus nothing by the grace of God alone but when it comes to the blessings of God it's a different matter like us to turn in our Bibles for our time together in 2nd Kings let's turn to 2nd Kings chapter 13 where we have an unusual event series of things take place that at first glance you think why are we even reading this why is this in our bibles and yet there's a principle that is really helpful for us to grasp i know in certain sectors of the church particularly in the background i had in the charismatic sector of the church charismatic sector there was this idea that for god to be at work he has to do it all and that's not the case let's go to second kings chapter 13 and read from verse 14 and ladies and gentlemen this is the word of god now when elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die joash king of israel went down to him and wept before him crying my father my father the chariots of israel and its horsemen and elisha said to him take a bow And arrows so he took a bow and arrows then he said to the king of Israel draw the bow and he drew it and Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands and he said open the window eastward and he opened it then Elisha said shoot and he shot and he said the Lord's arrow of victory the arrow of victory over Syria for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you've made an end of them and he said take the arrows and he took them and he said to the king of Israel strike the ground with them and he struck three times and stopped then The man of god was angry with him and said you should have struck five or six times then you would have struck down syria until you have made an end of it but now you will strike down syria only three times so elisha died and they buried him what a passage what a passage these were Elisha's final interaction with the king there were no words of comfort there was not any grandiose oratory there was not a prophetic statement other than what we read here and that was enough in itself but there was no grandiose farewell it was simply really an instruction in archery that's what we've got here take bow and arrows and shoot Now, the king of Aram, the king of the Arameans, was a man by the name of Hazael. And he'd taken some of Israel's land. That land was called Gilead. It was east of Jordan. And the king here sought revenge and wanted the land back. But this king was an evil king. But he wanted God's blessing through Elisha. He knew the way to get God's blessing was to invite the prophet of god and have the prophet's blessing and getting the prophet's blessing we would have the blessing of god and that was strategic in the nation's warfare we understand that if god is with us as a people as an army we're going to win and the king knew it and so elisha gave him a two action formula One, shoot an arrow through the open window, which faced the land he actually wanted back. And then secondly, shoot the rest of his arrows into the ground. Two things Elisha told him to do. Now, King Johoash, did the first. And that would actually be something considered very manly, more than that, an, an act of war. Uh, literally, you're, you're shooting arrows into land occupied by now a, a foreign king. Secondly, this would be full of spiritual significance. What, what, what would be? T- to shoot an arrow. If you keep your place in Second Kings, turn to the book of Psalms. There's a couple of references I'd like us to see. Psalm 7. Psalm 7. Give you time to find it. Psalm 7, verse 13, starting in verse 12. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. On in the book of Psalms to Psalm 64. Psalm 64, where we read in verse 7 but God shoots his arrow at them they are wounded suddenly all right back to 2nd Kings I say all that to say the arrow was significant in that it represented represented the fact that this was God's fight God would fight and so the arrow had a symbolic feature and so for those two reasons It would be considered an act of war plus the fact that this was a spiritually significant thing to do this looked good for the king he 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 wanted to see God fight against the enemy and um, this was the way to do it all is good I'll do that I'll do the first instruction but this second instruction from Elisha just wasn't appealing to the king in the same way it it, it looked even ridiculous shooting arrows into the ground (laughs) there's no biblical precedent for that well for whatever reason it wasn't appealing to him and because of this he only shot three of his many arrows available to him if he had a quiver full perhaps there were five six eight I don't know but he had a quiver full of arrows and he only shot three into the ground and it's as if he said oh uh, there you are okay satisfied and elisha's reaction was one of anger verse 19 2nd kings 13 verse 19 then the man of god was angry with him and said you should have struck five or six times perhaps that was the number in his quiver we don't know but at least do five or six shooting of arrows into the ground then you have struck down Syria until you've made an end of it but now it's going to be different you'll strike down Syria only three times because of the half hearted obedience of the instruction from Elisha Elisha speaking on God's behalf of course he's not going to completely destroy the enemy he'd only have three fairly minor successes against the enemy look at second uh, kings 13 down to verse 25 it's the same chapter then jehoash the son of jehoahaz took again from ben hadad the son of Hazael the cities that he had taken from jehoash his father in war three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities of Israel so we read verse 25 to confirm the fact that later on this prophecy of Elisha was accurately fulfilled what was seen in the physical realm in terms of warfare was a direct result of the obedience and I would say the half-hearted obedience of the king and so this passage while very unusual is is so helpful for us because it illustrates what we see in much of our Bibles both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament I want to show this principle in both the Old and the New Testament and that is while victory is God's work God's work entirely to be a recipient of his blessings depends on obedience if we want one chapter in our bible that speaks of blessings on the obedient and curses on the disobedient just read deuteronomy 28 that's what we have there are 68 verses and by the end of those 68 verses you should know what a blessing is and what a curse is and verse 1 and onwards in the chapter speaks of the fact if you will diligently hearken if you will listen listening literally you'll eat the good of the land you'll be blessed in the city you'll be blessed in the country whatever you do will be blessed and then from verse 15 on to the end of the chapter but if you don't if you don't obey the commands of god these curses will come upon you and overtake you and by the end of that chapter we should know uh, what a blessing is and what a curse is and it speaks of the fact that there are blessings for obedience and there is less than blessing curses for disobedience thankfully in Christ we don't need to fear the curses he bore the curse for us Galatians chapter 3 he uh, Jesus Christ was cursed for us Galatians three thirteen. Christ is the one who has taken the curse that we might have the blessing of Abraham. Praise the Lord for that. So while we have this truth, let, let's hone in on it. Here, here's the application. You and I have a part to play in the blessings of God on our life. Now, in our circles, in the Reformed camp, we, we often rightfully stress the fact that God works salvation 100% not even ninety nine point nine leading us to the conclusion we have a little part to play no salvation is completely of the Lord but when it comes to the blessing of God we have a part to play we never earn or deserve God's favor we get that we are so on that we know we don't deserve anything and yet God has condescended to bless our obedient actions it's it's amazing that he would do so because he doesn't have to do you remember back in the book of genesis there's a little phrase we read where god is telling adam about the surrounding area and in verse 11 of genesis chapter 2 we read these words the name of the first talking of the rivers Is the Pishon it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of that land is good bdellium and onyx stone are there I read that because we read through it and we say okay there's gold in Havilah but I don't think for a moment that it meant you're just gonna walk around and see gold lying on the ground what's implied in that is Adam if you want gold you can go get it and there's a good place to get it. it's called Havilah but you're gonna need to mine it those words are not in the text but it's implied you and I know you don't just walk around and see gold if you're gonna get gold you've got to mine it it's not just laying on the ground it's gonna take effort but it's worth the effort why because it's not just any kind of gold it's good gold do you see the principle god was telling adam there's work for you to do if you're going to enjoy blessing grace let's talk about grace grace is not an item or a substance sinclair ferguson has made that very very clear in one of the quotes i've quoted recently grace is not some measurement of substance it's Christ when God gives us grace he gives us Christ and there are what we call means of grace if you and I are going to grow in our Christian life be nurtured in our Christian life we are to avail ourselves of the means of grace and we know these to be the Lord's Day worship service gathering that's priority number one in the Christian life we have a tendency to believe it's just me and jesus and what is really really important is my personal daily devotion to god my reading of the bible my prayer life and while that is never to be discouraged and there are bible passages that speak of the need to avail ourselves of the, the means that are available in terms of reading the word of god I loved your law I loved your word more than my necessary food the psalmist said blessed is the man who uh, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly but his delight is in the law of the Lord the emphasis in our Bibles is on the corporate gathering it really is Lord's Day worship that's where God says I'll meet with you don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some but be devoted to this all the more as you see the day approaching it's at the lord's day worship where god willing the service is structured according to god's specifications we call it the regulative principle of worship what god has instructed us to do and so in a rightly formatted worship service All the elements that God says do this sing to me when you come read the word when you come preach the word when you come the Lord's Day Supper that's a part of the Lord's Day worship service gathering at least it is at King's Church and so because we understand this to be a means of grace we, we don't have the idea that we need this once every couple of years or even once a year though it should be a regular thing and it should be the case that the Word of God is expounded exegeted brought forth before the people explained and applied these are means of grace prayer is certainly a means of grace and what we get in the means of grace is Christ himself through the means he has ordained he says I'll meet with you there I'll feed you there. And that's why, as wonderful it is to just listen to sermons, and we do make our sermons available in an audio format and a video format, as wonderful as that is, it should never take the place of the entire service if we can possibly get there. Because God has designed the entire service for our spiritual good and for His glory. And Lord's Day worship should be non-negotiable it's it's the first thing on the calendar during the week in fact the lord's day is the first day of the week and we start the week in rest on the lord's day that's the way we should handle it it doesn't matter what else the week may hold for us let's start it right with the lord's day worship service we start with rest and then the next day we work. And it's a, it's a principle, it's a mindset. We, we have a Western idea, a non biblical idea, that we work for five days and then we have the weekend off. Biblically, we start the week with the Lord's day and the rest of the time we work. <laughs> Let's make it a non negotiable because that's God's means for us to enjoy the blessing of God and be nurtured now let me try and give you an illustration of what i'm talking about imagine a darkened room there's electric uh, there's electricity available uh, in other words the electricity is uh, is connected but if you're going to get light on in a room there's a light switch more than that picture in your mind a dimmer switch and you know with a dimmer switch you can turn it and with a little of the turn a little bit of a turn you can get a little amount of light into the room but if you turn it all the way the entire room will enjoy dazzling bright light in other words turn that dimmer switch lightly and you'll have little light turn it all the way and you'll have full lighting of the room and it's not because you're especially (laughs) special it's that you found the way to light by something you do think of that as the blessing of God I think we can see the application immediately you and I have an essential part to play as to whether or not we enjoy light and to what degree we enjoy light Think of it as the blessing of god we have an essential part to play now these are not i want to say this these are not things that i'm saying so that it's a guarantee that we'll have blessing there are people who are lazy (laughs) who are given vast sums of money because they happen to be the son of a very wealthy person who leaves a lot of money to them in the will but proverbs t- says the lazy man won't be blessed he, he won't the, and yet there are because it's not a book of promises there in proverbs it's the book of proverbs it's the usual case that the lazy man won't be blessed in fact on into the new testament it says if a man will not work neither should he eat this is about not ability to work there are some people who have got such physical problems they're not able to work but if we are not you and i are able-bodied we should be working and if we refuse to do that we should not find it surprising we don't have money to eat neither should we neither shall he eat so i'm saying this though the blessings of god are not automatic Can can we can we see that god will not does not bless laziness even though there are exceptions to the rule people can win lotteries who don't work and in the financial realm at least they can uh, receive much in the way of funds in their bank account as they win the lottery but that's that's not the way that god wants for us to live our lives now this king we've looked at second kings Only gave half-hearted obedience and the direct result was half-hearted victory you'll remember if you've read your Bible that the king greeted Elisha with the very same words Elisha employed when he saw his master Elijah being taken up to heaven my father my father the chariots and horsemen of Israel exact same words but the similarities stopped there. Elisha proved his commitment to God by his wholehearted devotion to God, even while undergoing a stringent test. Let me quote from a book in my library. Starting with Elijah, this is the beginning of the quote at Gilgal. Elisha had been led in a circuitous—that means a circle. Route, you might say route depending on your accent dialect so Elisha had been led in a circuitous route and discouraged constantly from following Elijah do you remember the story Gilgal's on the west bank of the Jordan God was taking Elijah over the river to the east bank to take up uh, him into heaven but instead of crossing right over the river if you read through the passage God led the prophet Via Bethel and Jericho and that's a very roundabout route it was not direct in any way at all not at all I'm actually looking at a map and uh, you can see that on the map Gilgal Bethel Jericho and then into the area where he was going to be taken up at Gilgal this quote continues Bethel and Jericho Elijah encouraged Elisha to settle down Stop here. You don't need to go any further. But so great was the zeal for God burning in Elisha's heart that he refused to listen. His constant response was this. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Similarly, whenever there was a school of the prophets, they tried to show Elisha the futility of his journey. His response to all of them was, yes, I know. Yes, I know. But do not speak of it. Even after the Jordan had been crossed and after he had requested a double portion of Elijah's spirit Elijah had to tell him that receiving this blessing was not automatic second Kings 2 verse 10 reads like this yet if you see me when I am taken from you it will be yours otherwise not continuing the quote how Elisha must have struggled to keep his eyes open so that not even an event which could have been could have taken no more than the twinkling of an eye would go unseen and finally after the obedience of his journey when elijah was taken up he cried my father my father the chariots and horsemen of israel and so the blessing the mantle of blessing was his you read all of that in second kings chapter 2 i commend that to your reading and that's an event that took place before of course what we read and have read in 2nd Kings 13 continuing the quote the presumption of Jehoash's attitude in the scene with Elisha now becomes clear here is a half-hearted carnal man trying to receive the same blessing as a man of selfless dedication the source of blessing was the same God himself It was the flow of blessing which varied in one the channel was unrestricted in the other it was blocked so it is that God will often demand some sort of response from us before his full blessing can flow so many are the incidents which demonstrate this that a whole book could be written on this issue I'd like us to to go to 2 Kings chapter 2, and starting there in verse 19, we read an incident there. I'd like us just to see this in our Bible. 2 Kings chapter 2. Look with me in verse 19. Now, the Men of the city said to Elisha, "Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I've healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke now think about this there's a problem with the water and Elisha excuse me Elijah put salt in that contaminated water and God healed the water now if you've got water problems putting salt in it is not going to heal it but that was what God instructed and that's why the miracle occurred note the point there there's things for us to do to enjoy the blessing of God go to chapter 4 2 Kings chapter 4 look at verse 32 when Elisha came into the house he saw the child lying dead on his bed this was obviously a young child who had died and Elisha saw him dead on the bed So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord, prayed to Yahweh. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes then he summoned Gehazi and said call this Shunammite so he called her and when she came to him he said pick up your son amazing Elisha lay on a dead boy and God brought him to life now you and I are not instructed here to go do the same (laughs) this was a one-off incident But do you realize rather than simply sitting back and saying let god do it if he wants to here there was action involved and that obedience resulted in life second kings chapter four the same chapter look at verse 38 what we have here is flour being added to stew Yep, we're reading of that in our Bibles. Verse 38, and Elisha came again to Gilgal where there was a famine in the land and as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew not knowing what they were and they poured out some for the men to eat but while they were eating of the stew they cried out oh man of God there is death in the pot you ever wanted to say that when you're visiting someone and you're eating something it's not tasting that good um, don't don't say this <laughs> there's death in the pot. No, no but that's legitimate here and they could not eat it he said then bring flour and he threw it into the pot and said pour some out for the men that they may eat and there was no harm in the pot so again it says poisonous stew or it's making everyone sick and even close to death you don't just say oh the answer to that it's just put flour in it no God made that was which which was poisonous not only bearable but enjoyable by means of a miracle, but he used means. Praise the Lord. The next words of verse 42, the next verse. A man came from Baal, Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said how can i set this before a hundred men so he repeated give them to the men that they may eat for thus says the lord they shall eat and have some left so he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the lord again 20 small loaves of barley bread it's not enough for a hundred men until god multiplies it but they had to do something for the miracle to occur you remember in the next chapter 2nd Kings chapter 5 Naaman the leper we could spend a lot of time at least a sermon or two on Naaman he had to be obedient and bathe in the Jordan you remember seven times before God's healing occurred he didn't want to do it he thought there were better rivers to bathe in had no real respect for israel certainly not for its river the river jordan here but that was the instruction and he wasn't healed when he dipped himself three times four times five times or even six but only after the seventh again the blessing of god comes by obedience 2nd kings 6 verse 5 but as one was felling a log his axe head fell into the water and he cried out alas my master for it was borrowed all right he's lost his axe head and the problem is it wasn't his it was borrowed now he's in debt well God intervened how by the man of God and his words and instruction then the man of God said where did it fall when he showed him the place He cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float that's a miracle absolute miracle and he said take it up so he reached out his hand and took it now you and I know if we lose an axe head we don't say okay well we've got Bible instruction here go out in the boat and uh, throw a stick and you'll be fine it'll come back up no this was a miracle but you see action was involved In every case we've gone through and we're just spending a little time in 2nd Kings here the action by itself couldn't produce the miracle but because it was an act of obedience it actually released God's power and blessing however without the action there wouldn't have been a miracle let's go to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 12 here we have again an unusual thing taking place There's much to see here Peter is being rescued by the hand of an angel again a miraculous intervention from God no doubt about it Acts chapter 12 let's read in verse 6 now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison and behold an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying get up quickly and the chains fell off his hands and went along one street and immediately the angel left him when Peter came to himself he said now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting when he realized this he went to the house of Mary the mother of John whose other name was mark where many were gathered together and were praying and when he knocked at the door of the gateway a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer recognizing Peter's voice in her joy she did not open the gate but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate they said her, you are out of your mind but she kept insisting that it was so and they kept saying it is his angel but Peter continued knocking and when they opened they saw him and were amazed and then he explained all that took place now if you to look at this, you can be mightily impressed, but when you hone in, notice what the angel did and what the apostle Peter did. First of all, think of it this way the angel woke Peter up. What did Peter do? Peter woke up. <laughs> the angel told Peter to get up, Peter got up. The angel took off the chains peter did nothing in that no that was the act of god through the angel the angel did the supernatural took off the chains peter did nothing in that the angel told peter to dress what did peter do peter dressed the angel didn't come and go wow and there was a fully dressed peter no The angel did what Peter could not do took off the chains but then told Peter to do what he could do which was dress you can do that I don't need to do that for you you dress you've done it before you've done it many times do it again now even in the midst of a miracle Peter dressed why he could do that the angel then led the way Peter followed And then we see the angel doing two more things totally supernatural he opened the locked doors Peter did nothing in that and the angel made the gods incapable of noticing (laughs) Peter did nothing regarding that Peter did not learn stealth skills and implement those skills he did nothing the angel took off the chains the angel opened the locked doors the angel made the gods incapable of noticing and then after all this the angel left Peter and Peter continued walking to the place where he would find the other disciples why because Peter could walk the angel didn't need to walk for him or beam him up to the door no uh, Peter you can walk you can also dress and so here it is Uh, get up get dressed follow me and once they were in process of seeing the entire supernatural take place all right you know your way from here I'm out of here that's what the angel did the angel did what was impossible humanly but Peter did what was possible humanly. I think we're getting the point, aren't we? We're seeing it from the Old and the New Testament. We are called upon to do what we can do, and God will do what only He can do. Nothing could earn Peter this. This was the act of God. This was a memorable thing how grateful we are for the blessing of God so I want to just apply this to us to your life to my life and let's ask this question what problem are we facing right now identify the problem maybe it's debt maybe you need debt elimination maybe it's health maybe you need to lose some weight I know that's been something I've needed to do and Have done some and need to do more there are means of that perhaps it's intermittent fasting perhaps it's exercise portion control you do what you can do god can do what only he can do there's no guarantee there are people with health issues that means no matter how much they regularize uh, their portion size They, they still have a problem going on I'm not talking about that I understand that but oftentimes there are things we can do financial planning people coming to the end of their working life can learn tax strategies Great to learn when you're young. It's going to serve you for years to come and maybe decades to come. But people in a financial situation whereby they can see this truck coming down the road, there's no way to avoid it. In a certain amount of years, I'm going to have to stop working. There are strategies you can employ by talking to someone who knows their stuff on this. Perhaps it's growth in a business, perhaps it's the need for finance. Well, I remember hearing of a man who was complaining because he needed money and all he kept getting was job offers oh no I I want God to do it all (laughs) no uh, the job offers are the provision of God rather than a temptation from the devil so what's the problem and what's your strategy I need to ask myself that There, there were times when I was in a deep hole in the financial realm, and it's as if God was asking me what He asked Moses What's in your hand? Do you remember that? For Moses, the answer was a staff. As I read my Bible, I saw that passage and I thought, What's in my hand? And I looked down, and what was in my hand was a pen. I was making notes. And it was that that sparked off my first book. You know, I've got something in my hand, I've got a pen, I, I, I can start writing. I can't do much right now, but I can do that. I'll, I'll work. I'll work this job, that second job. I'll, I'll do what I can to pay bills, but this is in my hand. It's in my hand to do it. Would you ask yourself the question two questions what's my problem? And what could be a strategy that God could bless to solve the problem? Do you remember in 1 Peter chapter 3? let me end there second first uh, Peter chapter 3 towards the end of the New Testament we see something that is uh, again something that highlights the principle I'm bringing out here first Peter chapter 3 jumping into the text there's a message for husbands verse 7 first Peter 3 verse 7 likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life notice how specific this is it's live with your wives in an understanding way a message to husbands your wife understand her understand the way she ticks understand how you ought to approach her i've had to learn certain things to not hurt my wife because I spoke with a certain tone I I got it from England that's how we talked and I didn't marry someone from England over there I don't think there would be a problem because that's how we talk over there both males and females talk the same way but I had not married an English person and so I had to learn to understand my wife and I actually went and got some counseling along with my wife I didn't know why we were going because I'm thinking what what have I done at she's asked the question you know what is the answer to this and I've told it but it's the tone I used and I'm thinking how about the counselor because I've got a tone <laughs> yeah let's make the question what's the capital of France Paris well Paris was the right answer but there's a way of saying Paris Paris or Paris or Paris and it was the way I was talking that meant I needed to live with my wife in an understanding way and cut out the harsh tone and the counselor said look you could marry a tractor and you can have a tractor and leave it outside for six months in the pouring rain, in the snow, in the heat of the summer, and start that thing with the use of and the turn of a key, and it will probably start. It's a rugged thing, and it can endure a lot. Or you could marry a Ferrari. It's a good uh, male illustration. I like that. Uh, you marry a Ferrari, and that thing is going to need a little more care than that and you leave it alone for 6 months in all the kind of hostile weather out there start the car you may not get it to start why it's a little more sensitive but what would you rather have the tractor or the ferrari and john you married a ferrari i thought oh, that's a great illustration to this day i remember it all right okay learn to live with the ferrari <laughs> i'd rather have the ferrari than the tractor praise the lord I've married a wonderful wife but I have to understand it now let look at the rest of the verse do this live with your wives in an understanding way husbands showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered really yeah the husband's attitude the way he treats his wife determines the effectiveness of his the husband's prayer ministry do you see there is blessing when we obey God but there can be a curtailment of blessing when we don't and in our understanding of the sovereignty of God it does not dilute the fact that God's blessing Is on those who obey him jesus said if you love me keep my commandments and you and i when we keep his commandments there is blessing blessing available to us let's do what is possible ask ourselves what is our problem maybe there's several problems and then ask ourselves all right what's the solution god won't do what we can do but he often calls us rather than to stand still and see his salvation, but to be doers of his word and not hearers only. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the consistency we see in your word. You are sovereign and you could say at any moment, stand still, I got this. Just keep silent, don't do a thing. But many times you tell us, do this and I'll bless it. I pray Lord you'll sharpen our minds as to your truth where we have issues we would understand those issues and by means of your word and the principles of wisdom we'll obey and see your hand extended pray you'll save marriages I pray you'll eliminate debt I pray that you'll help each one achieve health goals always knowing that you are still sovereign whether you give or whether you take away and may we always say the lord gives the lord takes away blessed be the name of the lord pray in jesus name amen Don't just sit there.